Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. <clears throat> We're going to continue in our study there. Have the opportunity to, <clears throat> excuse me, get through this chapter. And uh, before we do that, let's pray and then I'll set the stage. Kind of what I believe or for what I believe the Lord would have us look at tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. For the fact that you're always working. You're always challenging us and provoking us and leading us to draw closer to you. to be the men and the women you've called us to be, and to be the tools and vessels that you so desire for us to be that we might shine your light in this world. We may joke before now about the mechanism being go, but truly, Lord, that's truth. you called us to be your ambassadors in this world, that we might rightly represent you and draw others to you. And Lord, to do that, we recognize we always need to be growing in knowledge and in Christ-likeness. And we pray you use tonight to Help us to see that even more, what you've called us to, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, Pastor Steve taught, right? Chapter 17, thank you. I was here, heard all of it. And at the end of that chapter, you know, that chapter broke into two parts. The second part of that chapter talked about how the nation of Israel went up against Amalek and defeated him. And you had Moses and up on the mountain, and, and Pastor Steve referenced Joshua being down in the valley leading uh, the charge in the battle on behalf of the nation of Israel, being used of the Lord. Um, to fight that battle. You know, um, it's only a few books later that we would come to the book of Joshua and spinning the story forward real quickly, we know that because, as Pastor Steve mentioned, the second time water is to flow from the rock, Moses in his frustration, struck the rock, and God in his graciousness poured out water for the nation of Israel. But because Moses misrepresented God's heart and uh, foreshadowing the work of Christ on the cross and how he only needed to be struck once, because of that, Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. A lot happens between 
uh, what we'll read tonight in that event, including the sending out of spies and all those kinds of things. And we know as we read that only two from this generation of, of Israelites that we would be um, looking at here entered in the promised land, and those were Joshua and Caleb. Caleb and Joshua. And Joshua is chosen of the Lord, Joshua chapter 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, be bold, be courageous, and lead my people. And it's Joshua that God raises up to lead the nation of Israel. It's Joshua that actually leads them into the promised land. It's Joshua that leads them through the conquering years. And you might stop having looked at the end of 17 and said, why Joshua? What happened in this man Joshua from this first time we really see him come on the scene until Joshua chapter 1. What happened? It's actually, I think I've done this study on being an assistant pastor. I think there's 21 or so references to Joshua before the book of Joshua. Some of those are duplicate references. And if you were to study Joshua, you would see um, a picture. You would get a picture of what it truly means to be a man who follows after God, to be that right-hand guide to the leader. And through this, God was fashioning Joshua. But nowhere in there um, do you see Joshua striving after that? You see God giving instruction to Moses to prepare Joshua, but nowhere in there do you see Joshua going, oh, I know what God's doing. Oh, man, it's going to be great when I can lead. In fact, I think Joshua didn't want to. Because God had to keep telling him over and over again, be bold, be courageous. If God has to keep telling you the same thing over and over again, probably a good sign that he wasn't bold, he wasn't courageous in himself. And God kept drawing him to himself, saying, in me. Be bold and courageous. Stay in my word. Don't turn to the left or the right and leave my people. But we see Joshua leading the battle and we look for him and we say, we know where this is going, but how did he get there? And we have the advantage of looking backwards 
and drawing insight, but never lose sight of the fact that these stories that we read, these people lived it moment to moment, day to day, in a linear fashion, just like you and I live our lives. How many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Anybody? Neither did Joshua. Neither did Moses. They took it one day at a time in the Lord, right? In chapter 18, as I reflected upon the end of 17, it's actually a hugely pivotal chapter not just in Moses' leadership, but in establishing a foundation through which Joshua could be fashioned into the man that God called him to be. It seems like a random chapter stuck in the middle, kind of, of what's going on. It's a very personal chapter for Moses and his father-in-law. But it's pivotal in the future. And what we know as the history, but what they could only know of as their future in what God was doing. And so as we enter into 18, keep that in mind. And uh, we'll try and draw some insights. So, chapter 18, verse 1, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all of that, all heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out. Of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father in law, took Zephorah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name was of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God or in Horeb. Now he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, and coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So let's just kind of do a little cleanup work, as it were, on those first few verses, just to understand a few things. First off, Jethro, it says he's a priest of the Lord from Midian. We don't know a ton about Jethro. Some of it is conjecture, but there's a good chance 
that Jethro is actually a descendant um, from Abraham through his wife Keturah, who the two of them had a son by the name of Midian, who they believe is the father or the founder of this area called Midian, from which Jethro comes from. And in that sense, it would make, um, in that sense, it wouldn't be unusual for us to understand how Jethro then, through his heritage, could be a believer and also be called by God as a priest. And so that, you know, it seems kind of out there when Jethro comes on the scene here and you're like, how did he become a priest of the Lord, right? Also, if you've been tracking with us all along, there's reference here to the fact that Zipporah was sent away by Moses, though if you've been in the study, there's never a place where it actually says Moses sent her away. But indication would be that back in Exodus chapter 4, there's a scene where God is calling Moses to step up and to go into Pharaoh. But Moses' house isn't in order. In the sense that his sons were circumcised. And circumcision was that sign of that covenant relationship with God. And so God actually pinned him down. In the text it says, God was seeking out to kill Moses. That's what it says. And so Zipporah, who probably was kind of against mutilating her sons in some way, is standing up against Moses. And at that point, she's like, okay, give me the knife, and circumcises her son, throws down the knife and says, you become a husband of blood to me. And most likely at that point, Knowing from that point forward, God was calling him to go to Moses, I mean to Pharaoh, and it was going to get a little dicey. And his wife wasn't real happy with him. He probably said, Honey, maybe you should go spend some time with your dad. Take the boys or at some point in the midst of the plagues. Obviously, somewhere in there, Moses had sent her back to dad. But now, the fame of the Lord has gone out. What God has done is going out to those nations around. And in the midst of that, Jethro hears of what God's doing. So he sends message to Moses, Hey, I'm bringing your wife and two sons back to you. 
probably getting a little bit tired of having the boys underfoot or something. But he says, I'm coming to you. And I'm bringing your wife and sons. So that kind of sets the scene. Two other notes. We kind of see in the naming. I remember that names meant something to them in this day. Today, we seem to be naming our kids. We look for names that nobody else uses, right? We'll even make up names. Uh, Just so we can say our kids have a unique name. I remember talking to my son and daughter-in-law who, by the way, you can pray for them. Courtney is due this coming Saturday. Um, And if she doesn't have the baby by next Monday, they're going to induce. But they're having a baby girl. And we've been asking him, what are you going to name her? What are you going to name her? Well, we would name her this, but so-and-so named their daughter this. And I'm like, do you like the name? Yeah, we really do. What difference does it make if somebody else has that name then? But, you know, that's kind of how it is today. In this day, names meant something. It spoke of circumstance with which the child was born into. What was going on in the parents' lives many times uh, was depicted in the naming of their children. And so Gershom, you'll note there, um, says, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. Don't forget that Zipporah and Moses got married in that 40-year exile after he had to run from Egypt because he had killed a man. And so he was living, as it were, as a stranger or foreigner. But then we almost can sense that God was working in him in those years because he goes from I have been a stranger to the God of my father was my help. And you can see that that work that God was probably doing in Moses' heart during those years that he found himself (coughs) exiled from his people, but being prepared by God. You know, we were just talking about that um, a day or two ago. How, you know, sometimes we can look at our lives and be discouraged that when we come to the realization we're not who God's called us to be. And that's never really the point. The point is, is God growing us. And if you're worried about it, just realize it took God 40 years to get Moses ready to lead his people, right? So don't beat yourself up too hard about the fact 
that you don't think you're who you're supposed to be. The question is, are you growing? Are you moving forward? Are you seeking to be more Christ-like each day? Are you willing to follow after the leading of the Holy Spirit? And that's what I see in Moses' life. In just even the naming of his two sons, yeah, I'm out here in the desert. I'm a foreigner. My life stinks. It's hot. It's dusty. And I'm chasing around a bunch of sheep. And yet God's working. And working. And all of a sudden he's like, God, you're so good. The man... You delivered me from Egypt. You brought me out here and delivered me from certain death. Had I remained, you are so good. The God of my fathers is my help. And you see that molding that was going on. Yet, if you read the life of Moses, you'll also realize he still was a man like you and I, who had his moments of falling short. Verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptian, and out of the hand of the Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so Jethro comes to Moses, and they have a greeting there where they... These two leaders, the priest of the Lord and the leader of God's people, come together. It's a sweet and intimate time where Moses humbles himself before his father-in-law, bows before him and kisses him and invites him into the tent. And they have a time of sharing on their well-being. And then Moses immediately jumps into giving testimony of all that the Lord has done. 
The response of Jethro to that testimony, if you'll let me give it to you in brief, is first he rejoiced, then he praised the Lord. He established a greater confirmation of his faith in God. And it brought him to deeper levels of devotion to God. You see that in his response. He first, it says right there, that Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done. Now pause right there. I don't think Moses pulled any punches about how difficult this journey was. From the times of going into Pharaoh and the plagues to being let go, to being chased down by the Egyptians and how God protected them, the parting of the Red Sea, they go through the Egyptians do the dead man float. They move on. Israel, the nation, crying out. You've led us out here to die of thirst. You've led us out here to die of hunger. <clears throat> to the great victory over Amalek. I think Moses shared it all. And yet... It says there that Jethro rejoiced over the good that God had done. What that says to me is Jethro's view was the hardships and difficulties were part of the good that God had done for the nation. It's an important thing for you and I to grasp. I think about, I've been up at Potter's Field for 10 years. Come, I've been on staff 10 years, come May. I look back at how good God has been. All the great things God has done. But it hasn't been easy. There's been chasms and hardships and struggles along the way. But that good that God has done has included those things. Because we look back in the midst of it all and we say, man, that was really hard. Oh, man, look how God showed up. Look how he delivered us. So often we get so caught up in the hardships and difficulties of life that we forget that many times it's those things that God is using to make us and fashion us into more Christ-likeness, to make us learn to trust in him more, to take away things that need to be removed, to draw us back to him 
at a deeper level. And we look back, we go, man, that was hard. Man, that's so good. God was so good. And I don't want to lose sight of that in here. It says Moses told of the hardship. Jethro rejoiced over the good that God had done in the deliverance. He was rejoicing because it was all part of it. And we have to see that too. Because it's those times when we see that and we can grasp that, that we can look beyond the immediate hardship and trust in God. And rather than cry out, God, get me out of here, Rather, we say, God, walk with me through this, but don't let me leave this place until I learn what you have for me in the midst of it. Because God never takes us through hardship just to take us through hardship. There's always a purpose. He's always working. He's always fashioning. And so Jethro rejoices over what God's done. Then he says, blessed be God, praising God for all that he has done. He says, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you. And then we see him drawn deeper into this understanding. Now as a priest, he would have already in faith to believe that God was the God amongst all gods. But when he sees God moving, his faith is supported and his faith is built through the stories of what God has done. And then lastly, it leads him to worship and deeper devotion as he gets burnt offerings and sacrifices and brings those to the Lord in worship. And you say, Steve, why are you spending so much time on this? Because we don't do enough of this as Christians. We don't do enough of this as a church. We don't we're not good at sharing what God is doing in our lives. And I'm reminded that that's part of helping each other rejoice and praise and grow in faith and worship God. is seeing what God is doing in each other's life and hearing how God through hardships has delivered and hearing of the great things that God is doing in our lives and somebody else is sitting there listening to that and if we hear it with spiritual ears what we do is we walk away praising God but we live in a world when we hear God does something good. 
for somebody else, we think, why does he do that for me? We get angry when God does something good for somebody else instead of being, or instead of rejoicing in what God is doing. When I say we, I don't mean you in this room because none of you would ever get upset when God blesses somebody else or does good. But by and large, we aren't real good about sharing what God is doing. This actually was really convicting to me because I've reached the point, if any of you are my friends on Facebook, you'll notice it's been months since I've posted anything about my journey. Part of that was because it's like same same story, different day. Okay, we're in cycle 17 now. How many times can you say IV number one of cycle 17 is done, IV number two, and it's just like, no, I don't want to keep posting about this. But this really convicted me. It's like, no, I have to share my journey. Because somebody else will look at that and be drawn to the Lord to rejoice and to praise and to grow in faith and to worship. And that's what God is doing here in Jethro's life through this simple retelling from Moses' perspective of all that God had done with the nation of Israel. And I want to exhort you tonight that while we shouldn't tell our stories from the perspective of drawing attention to ourselves, we should tell our stories to give glory to God. Because the result of that is to help others grow deeper and become more intimate and have greater faith in God. It's, don't lose sight of the fact that this was a priest of the Lord who was drawn closer to the Lord through the stories of what the Lord had been doing. Verse 13, And so it was, on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning till evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. 
When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. And so Moses gets up the next day and goes back into his normal daily routine. Consider as the leader of this nation, which conservatively is a million people, most people believe somewhere between one to three million people. One to three million people. How many disputes do you think happen between one to three million people living in close proximity in the desert? Like, I'm thinking Moses is just obviously there all day long and probably stopped at evening because it got dark and they didn't have lights. You know, it's like you light another torch. We'll just keep going. And this was Moses' life every day, except the Sabbath. Six days a week, morning till evening. Next. 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 And so he goes out that morning and is like, next. And Jethro standing off to the side watching this. What are... If we put it in today's language, it would be like, What in the world are you doing, Moses? Moses is like, what? The people have disputes. They have difficulties. As the leader, they come to me, and I help them settle their disputes. What's the issue? Jethro responds, So Moses' father-in-law said to him, This thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people... Able men, such as fear God, men of faith, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it shall be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter 
they themselves shall judge, so it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. And so Jethro sees this, and he goes to counsel his son-in-law. And he gives him, essentially, a short teaching on what it truly means to lead people on behalf of the Lord. Now, before we dive into this, let me just say that some of you at this point may check out because you're like, well, that's good, but I'm not called to lead one to three million people. I'm not a pastor. I'm not in full-time ministry. Well, let me make it very real to you right now. Every single person in here has a sphere of influence, people that God has entrusted to you in your life. If you're a husband, you have a wife. Perhaps you have kids. If you're not married, you have family and friends. All these people have been entrusted to you by God to be a part of your life. And in that, God would call you to be a leader, to be someone who's influencing them on behalf of the Lord. So while we look at this and we see Jethro instructing Moses, we have to grab hold of the truths and make them personal to us as well. The first thing he says is, do you want to be an influencer of people? Do you want to be someone who draws and leads people into deeper relationships with God? Well, start right here. Stand before God and pray for them. Stand before God and pray for them. He says, so you go before God on behalf of the people and lift up their difficulties to him. That's rule and role number one, Moses, for you. Pray. Pray. Do you want your friends and families and loved ones to be drawn closer to the Lord through your life? Pray. Pray for them. And pray that God would use you in their life and pray for their hardship and difficulties. Lift them up to the Lord. Secondly, teach them God's word. Isn't that what he says there? He says, first off, stand before God on behalf of the people. And then two, you shall teach them the statutes and the laws. So one, pray, Moses. Two, take on your role as the leader to instruct them in what it means to follow after God. Thirdly, 
example for them. That's what he says there. Show them the way in which they must walk. Pray, teach, example. Being an example to them. It's well and good to teach them what the Word says, but they should also see the Word working itself out in your life. And then lastly, he says, show them the way in which they must walk and work they must do. Get them serving. Get them doing something on behalf of the Lord. So this is the instruction, essentially, that Jethro gives them. Moses, pray for them. Teach them. Example for them what it means to follow after God and release them into a work that they can put their hands on. Now, I don't want to belabor this and draw out this teaching for hours because now you're in a realm for me that I'd love to just sit here all night and talk about. But suffice it to say, this very lesson right here, we're going to, Moses puts this into motion, right? If we finish out the chapter, he puts this into motion. This lesson right here radically changed the direction of Moses' ministry and ultimately was the foundation through which God raised up Joshua. As Moses prayed and taught and example, and now release people to serve in the capacity that God would call them to. And through this scene right here, the next leader of the nation of Israel was standing there being affected by this choice this style of leadership. Today, in this ministry, you know what we call it? Discipleship. Discipleship. Pray. Teach. Example. Release. Teach. Or pray, teach. Example. Release them to serve. Unless you think this is an Old Testament principle, write down Acts chapter 6, because it moved all the way into the book of Acts. In chapter 6, when the dispute between the Jews and the Hellenists arose within the church, and the apostles all stood up, And you know what they said? By the way, you have to go read. You can't tell the whole story. Dispute arose over the widows 
The Hellenists thought their widows weren't being treated fairly. The Jews were in control of the distribution. They raised a concern. The Hellenists handled it properly. They brought it to the Jews. The Jews responded. The apostles stood up. You know what the apostles said? I believe, hearkening back to here, let me put some words into Jethro's mouth. Moses, you have a role to play, and it's not this role. You're called to lead these people, to pray, to teach, to example, and to raise up and let them serve. The apostles in Acts 6 say this, it's not good for us to be with the tables. We must give ourselves to the teaching of God's word and prayer. <clears throat> Tell you what, Hellenists, you give us seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. You give us the names. They come with seven names. Two of them, well, one of them was Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church, and one of them was Philip, the evangelist. But he was just Philip, the deacon of the church, waiting on tables to begin with. They brought the seven, they laid hands on them and sent them out to wait tables. And the apostles stuck to the role that God had called them to. Prayer, the word, they surely were living it out. And they definitely released those seven to do ministry. It's not an Old Testament principle. This principle reverberates through the whole Bible. All the way to today. You want to know why this ministry is founded on discipleship? It's not because Pastor Mike thought it up. Right here. It's God's plan. It's God's plan for his people. And you might say, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm going to bring it home to your home. What are you doing? Are you praying? If you have kids, do you pray for them? Do you teach them? Do you example for them? Are you giving them opportunities to serve? Maybe you don't have kids, but you're married. Husbands and wives, are you doing that for each other? What about your extended families? Moms, dads, sisters, brothers, cousins, and aunts. Great-grandparents. How about your friends? That sphere of influence that you have. Are you praying for them? Are you sharing God's word with them? Are you living out God's word? Are you challenging them and finding ways to plug them in? to some way of serving Jesus, right? <laughs> Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And God gave some to be evangelists, apostles, pastors, teachers. What's the point? 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ. Parenthetically, I'm going to shorten it up for you. What is it all about? Equipping, edifying, helping people become more Christ-like, create stability in their life, that they would be growing in the Lord and in love. That's Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. All of it we see right here. You want to know what took Joshua, the commander of the Lord's army of the end of 17, to being Joshua, leader of God's people, in Joshua chapter 1, he stood by. He followed Moses everywhere. And Moses took this to heart. He witnessed Moses praying. He heard Moses' teaching. He saw the life of Moses modeling it. And Moses gave him opportunities to serve. You go check it out. You search the name Joshua before the book of Joshua and see all the different scenes that Joshua's in. One minute he's leading the army. The next minute he's standing outside the tabernacle. The next minute he's at the base of Sinai while Moses is up on Sinai. It's Joshua that first heard the roar of the camp when Israel was falling into sin with the golden calf. It's Joshua who defended the ministry of Moses when there were people coming against him. It's an amazing thing to see from this, if you'll let me call it, humble beginning of what God was doing in the nation of Israel through Moses to see it work itself out in the life of a man such that one day, who, by the way, he's just living day to day. To have God come to him and go, Hey, Josh, you know Moses is dead, right? I need another leader, and you're the man. You're the man. And how did he get prepared? Right here. I also love the fact that Jethro at the end said this, if you do this thing and and God so commands you. Jethro's like, here's my counsel to you. Take it to the Lord and see if he bears witness with this counsel. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all, all times, 
the hard or the difficult cases they judge. Um, they brought to Moses, but they judge every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way. So Moses heeds his father-in-law's counsel, and he points, notice in verse 20, 21, in Jethro's counsel, four things. Able men, men of ability, that show an ability and a need ability to lead. Men of truth, men who know and are seasoned in God's word. Um, men who fear God or godly men. And lastly, hating covetousness, that at first when you read that, you're like, really, you got this list of things, men of ability, men who are godly, men of the word, and they're not covetous. It's like it doesn't really fit, but what I think he's trying to say is this, Show me a man who's covetous. I'll show you a man who's never content with what God has for him. And if you show me a man who's not content with what God has for him, I'll show you a man that's going to cause problems. He's going to want somebody else's position. Why did he get 50 and I only got 10? And what are you doing giving that guy a thousand? I know him. He couldn't add one and one and come up with two, and now you put him over a thousand people and gave me 10. Right? Covetous people will cause problems. And then it makes sense. Men who have ability to lead. Men who fear God. Men who stand on truth and are content to be who God's called them to be in the position that God's called them. There is no small work in the kingdom of God. The janitor or the pastor? In God's eyes, he's looking for faithfulness. No small job in the kingdom of God. Tens or ten thousands or leading millions. It doesn't matter. Are you being faithful? to what God's called you to. That's what it's all about. So in closing, I would just put it before you as God put it before me, and I'm just, I'm challenging myself to meditate on these three things. Am I sharing what God's doing in my life and how he's moving? Am I doing that? 
And am I rejoicing in what God's doing in others' lives? Secondly, how am I doing in being used of the Lord to equip, edify, grow in Christ-likeness, create stability and growth in the Lord and in the love of the Lord? How am I doing praying for people, teaching them God's word, exampling them through godly behavior and giving them opportunities to be used of the Lord? How am I personally in my life doing in those areas? How am I being used of the Lord? How are you being used of the Lord? And lastly, am I leading those that God entrusts to me? I have kids. I have grandkids. Soon three. I have a wife. I have great people that I serve with every day. I have nurses that run IVs for me 10 times out of 28 days, 10 days out of 28 days, every month. I have a neurologist I'll see tomorrow at 11. These are all people that God's put in my sphere of influence. How am I impacting them on behalf of the Lord and leading them into a deeper understanding of who He is? Let those questions reverberate for you in your life. Not as, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything but as a challenge to move forward that you might be used of the Lord. Because you don't know. The next Joshua could be one of your people and you have the blessing of influencing on behalf of the Lord. Amen?